Good morning. Uh, does everyone have the handout sheet? If anyone does not, you could raise your hand and make sure they can get that to you. This is such a huge topic, gigantic. Volumes, of course, are written on the Holy Spirit, and we'll only be able to touch on a few aspects of the Holy Spirit's work. But hopefully this can refresh us in some of the vital aspects of the Spirit's work to encourage us and build us up in Christ Jesus. Let me pray as we get started. Oh Lord, you have given abundantly of your Spirit. You are the one of whom John says... The Father gives him the Spirit without measure. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your work on the cross, which won for us the outpouring of the Spirit. And that, Lord, we have all the rich benefits because of the Holy Spirit. Lord, bless us that we may understand more of what he does for us and in us. And Lord, what he will do for us, even in the final day. Bless us, Lord. Build us up in our faith. In Jesus Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you'll turn uh, to page three in your bulletin to the Apostles' Creed, just want to point out where we are in the Apostles' Creed. We're in an interesting spot as we come to the third section Because in this second section, we've just covered everything from the birth of Christ all the way to his coming at the end of the history of the world to judge the world. And you might think at that point that you'd say the end, right, is final judgment, end of history. What else is there to say? But so far, nothing has been said about what Christ's work actually does for his people. We hear about the work of Christ in the creed, but one might say, well, well, so what? What does this mean for me? That is what the third section is about. We've said that the Apostles' Creed is a roadmap of reality. Well, in this third section, we are confessing our belief In the new reality, because of the work of Christ. We're saying basically, I believe in the reality of the people of God, the church. I believe in the love and fellowship of God's people, the communion of the saints. I believe that my sins, the wonderful reality that my sins are forgiven... I believe in the future reality that my body will be raised from the dead and that I will live in the presence of God forever. This is the so what part of the creed. This is what Christ's work means for me, what Christ's work does for us as the people of God. But how do all these benefits come to us? Well, they come to us through the work of the Holy Spirit. That's why this section begins with, 
I believe in the Holy Spirit. You see, it's not that we just got to the final judgment of Jesus and, and then we're saying, well, let's see, what else is there? Uh, uh, you believe in the Holy Spirit. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. No. Section two is the work of Christ. Section three is the work of the Holy Spirit, headed by the Holy Spirit as we see it here. And so the Holy Spirit is the bridge that brings Christ's work into our lives. So what are some aspects of that work? And again, only a few. First of all, the Spirit indwells us and rests on us. We read here in 1 Corinthians 3, Do you not know that you, that's a y'all, right? are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you or y'all. If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And then Paul on Ephesians, in him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the spirit. You see, because Jesus has borne away God's wrath on the cross, because there is no condemnation at all upon us, then God comes to dwell in us by the Holy Spirit. In the Old Testament, he dwelled in the tent first, the tabernacle, and then later the temple, but now he actually dwells in us his people. We're the dwelling place of the glory of God. We are the place where his glory shines forth in worship and in our love for one another and for all people. And then you you gather from Ephesians 2 that this is a permanent dwelling place. You were built being built together into a dwelling place. The forever dwelling place of God is us. In that sense, you see, the city that comes from heaven, the new Jerusalem, is us. We are the place. We are the Jerusalem. We are bedecked with jewels and glorious walls. We have been made glorious in God's indwelling of us. This is our dignity This is our beauty. And you see Paul here in 1 Corinthians 3 underscoring how we must value each other as his temple. You see, this has been misunderstood in the past because they don't misunderstood that this is a plural. It's speaking of you individually as God's temple. And so if you destroy God's temple, that is, if you commit suicide, God will destroy you. That's been a, a false interpretation of this passage. But that's not what it's saying at all. It's saying you as the church are the dwelling place of God. And if someone destroys God's people, then God will destroy him. And so he says the temple is holy. The people of God that you dwell with are holy. That means they've been set apart for God. They belong to God. They are treasured by God. And so every believer is to be honored and valued for they are the temple of God. How do you see each other? 
How do you view each other? Does this govern whether you do or do not gossip about people? Does this govern how you will be faithful to serve one another as the temple of God? But he not only says that we as a collective group of people are indwelled by God's spirit, but individually here in 1 Corinthians 6, he says, do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. And in Timothy, speaks of the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. So your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And notice the connection between the work of Christ... And the indwelling of the Spirit. Christ has bought you with a price, he says here. He has purchased you with his own blood. Therefore, you are his. You belong to him. You are redeemed by him. You are not your own. You're not on your own. You are his. And so, your body is the dwelling place of his glory. And he says... Glorify God in your body, this holy sanctuary of God. So what you see and what you hear and what you think and what you touch and what you do and where you go. And all of these things bring glory to God for you're the dwelling place, the very temple of the Holy Spirit. And because he dwells in you. You truly can live a new life that glorifies God. You are individually the temple of God. You may think that you're worthless because you're so weak, because you fail so many times. But as you put your trust in God, you become the dwelling place of God. Each one of you. No one's left out of this. This is what you are as a believer in Christ. This is your new beauty and strength. And notice this passage in 1 Peter 4, if you are insulted for the name of Christ, you are blessed because the spirit of glory and of God rests on you. You see, when the world despises believers, when it hates them and imprisons them and even kills them. Nonetheless, all the while, the spirit of glory and of God rests upon them. That defines who they are. And they manifest his character. They continue to bring glory to God, even in their suffering. And so though the world hates them, they are the beloved of God shining forth glory in the darkness. You are the dwelling place of God. And then it it naturally follows point two here that the spirit who indwells us gives us a new heart and a new life. He brings new life to us. This is spoken of in Ezekiel 36. I will give you a new heart. And a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. Now, this is not a two-part thing. I'm going to switch hearts on you and I'm going to give this spirit. But this giving the spirit creates this new heart, this new life within us. 
and this ability, this new capacity and energy and desire and motivation to walk in God's word. This is major surgery. It's like a heart transplant, right? Heart of stone indicates a heart that is dead to God, unresponsive, resistant, hardened. A heart of flesh indicates a heart made alive, eager, full of love and obedience, or at least a growing love and obedience to God. And all of this is accomplished by the Spirit of God who brings about this wonderful change within us, renewing our hearts after God. And Scripture seeks to get at this idea of heart renewal in many ways. Here's another one in Deuteronomy 30. It says, The Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your offspring so that you will love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul that you may live. And the indication is, unless the the Lord does this surgery upon you, you will not be able to love him. You won't love him. And so outward circumcision in the Old Testament was simply a picture of the true reality of a heart circumcised so that the people of God would love him. And now Paul reflecting on this, As he's speaking particularly to the Jews in Romans chapter 2, says this, No one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor a circumcision outward and physical. That doesn't make you a Jew just because you have this sign. Not a true Jew, not a real Jew before God. But a Jew, Paul says, is one inwardly and circumcision is a matter of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter. In other words, it's not just the law itself left to ourselves trying to obey the law. It can only be done by the spirit renewing us. He must do this surgery to enable us to love him. Otherwise, we will not. But how encouraging that he does this. How encouraging to pray, oh Lord, fulfill your work in my life so that I can love you with all my heart, soul, and mind. This is your promise that you will circumcise my heart. Oh Lord, fulfill it. Manifest it in my life. It's another way to describe how God changes us from the inside out. Just like here in 2 Corinthians 3, you show that you're a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. What an image being written in the tablet of your heart with the spirit of the living God, basically saying he rewrites your heart, (laughs) right? He rewrites your heart. He begins to inscribe the word of God and the character of God into your heart. Do you see how over and over again, it's the heart that the spirit comes to work in. It's not an external conformity to God, but an internal heartfelt through and through conformity to God. And so Jesus is able to say in John 7, whoever believes in me, as the scripture has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. 
And John adds, this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to receive for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. So he's saying here, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. He's speaking about the spirit that when the spirit indwells us, the spirit so works in us that life flows from within us. This was, I've said this in Sunday school before, but this was a major change in my life when I realized this years ago that, that what defines me in my heart is no longer just the sinful Darwin that I've always been, but now it's the, the Holy Spirit that dwells there. There's something new in the deepest part of my life where it really counts, where motives are changed, where desires are changed. He, from the the innermost being, you can read it as this, will flow rivers of living water. He can heal the deep parts of us that are broken. He understands our brokenness when we don't understand ourselves. He knows the fears that govern us, and we don't even know that those fears govern us. But he knows, and he's going to be working in us. He can give us new desires. And so I encourage you, trust in the great work of the Spirit to renew you from within, to change whatever you come up against in your life. Especially, and this is always the case, isn't it, with believers, coming against your lack of desire, your lack of passion, your lack of love, your lack of, of the, the, the motive even to do his will. That's what God works in through the Holy Spirit. And I love this passage, the way it's translated in the ESV. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all, (laughs) right? This doesn't come from you. you. You can't love God on your own. You can't love people as Christ has loved you. You can't change your life that is governed by fear and self-will. Only the Spirit can give that life. It is the Spirit who gives life. I, Darwin, in myself, I'm no help at all. No help at all. But what a glorious help the Spirit is in us. So he dwells in us. He gives us this new life in him. And therefore it follows that he transforms our character as the Holy Spirit. This glorious verse we've already read in our service. The Lord is the Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. It's a very interesting passage because the Lord Jesus is named for the Spirit, or the Spirit is named for the Lord. That's how closely they are joined now. That's how much Christ and His humanity is conditioned by the Spirit and full of the Spirit, that He pours the Spirit out, that He can be they can be named for each other. The Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. There's the fundamental 
change that occurs. And we speak of God when he indwelled the tabernacle. When he first came into the tabernacle, his glory shone so greatly, they had to just flee the tabernacle and run out because of his glory. And the same thing happened when they built the temple. And God initially filled the temple. The priests had to run out because of the sheer glory of God. It speaks of the glory of God earlier in 2 Corinthians 3, when Moses appeared before God and he came down and his face was shining because he had been in the presence of God. And do you know what Paul says about all of that? He says, the glory of all the old covenant has been so surpassed by the glory of the new covenant. That's not even glorious anymore. It's like you have a flashlight on. That's the old covenant. And suddenly the sun comes up. You think, Nobody's looking at the flashlight. In fact, the flashlight, I can't even see it anymore because of the glory of Christ. And what is that glory? What is that glory? It's the spirit transforming you from glory to glory. The NIV puts it this way, transforms us into ever increasing glory. What a calling. What a reality that you are the temple of God. There is glory breaking out from your life. It is the very glory of the image of Christ and his character showing itself in your life. And so we read these other passages, the great passage in Galatians 5 of the fruit of the spirit. This is the result of the spirit in our life. This is what the spirit will be doing to create in our life. And this is the spirit who created the world. This is the spirit who gives life to all things. This is the mighty God who searches the things of God. The eternal spirit he's called in Hebrews 9. Unlimited in his strength. This spirit truly brings about love and joy and peace and faithful and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and self-control. All of these. And this is just a mention of the rich graces that he brings into our lives. Whatever it is that you are struggling with, whatever character you want to develop in your life, The Spirit is the one who brings it about. And so when you're faced with impatience, when you're faced with a lack of kindness, when you're faced with with no self-control, remember the flesh is no help at all. It's the Spirit that gives life. And so we ever are trusting in the Spirit, actually dependent upon the Spirit, actively crying out to the Spirit. Spirit, that he might work in us. And these other passages just speak of different aspects of the love in the spirit, the joy of the spirit. And then uh, Romans 15, that by the power of the Holy Spirit, you may abound in hope. I want to encourage you that these are not things that God wants to withhold from his people. He's given his spirit to indwell you. He's given his spirit to renew your heart and transform you constantly. God is always at his job. You don't have to convince him to do these things. 
He is all about this transformation. And so let us trust him. And then we look to the future in these last two. First, that the spirit is our first fruits, our guarantee and seal. And you see it in these passages. He's, he's said to be a guarantee over and over in the, uh, the last three passages. And in the first one in Romans 8, he says, not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the spirit grown inwardly as we await eagerly for re- adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. First fruits means that all that we enjoy from the Holy Spirit and all the change that he's bringing about in our life is just the first little bit of harvest. And at the resurrection, we will receive the full harvest of the presence of the Spirit in our lives forever. That's when we will be transformed into the image of Christ. That's when our bodies, as we will see, will take on new power and glory forever. So to have the first fruits means that this is just the beginning of the great harvest. But it's the guarantee of those things to us. As he says, the spirit is our guarantee. He leaves us the many promises of the word, but he leaves his Holy Spirit himself. His indwelling is the guarantee of the full inheritance of God until we possess it. It's interesting how Joseph made the brothers leave Benjamin with him, the little, the youngest brother, so that they would be sure to come back. And you see, God has left the Holy Spirit with us in a way to say, oh, I'll be back. This is a guarantee. This is your promise. I've left my Holy Spirit with you. And you have the guarantee that yours will be the great inheritance that Christ has bought for you. And then, lastly, this one who is the first fruits, this one with, who gives us this anticipation of what his fullness will be, is vitally involved in our final resurrection. You see, he was involved in Christ's resurrection. It says Christ was put to death in the flesh here in 1 Peter 3.18, but he was made alive in the spirit. That should be capital S. He was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in union with the spirit. The spirit brought him forth. Paul refers to this in Romans eight. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. It's interesting that the spirit was involved in the very uh, incarnation itself by the Holy Spirit. Jesus was conceived and the spirit empowered him for ministry. He cast out demons by the spirit. He offered himself up to God by the spirit and he was raised by the spirit. And so the spirit attends us so that our new birth, our new life is from the spirit. He sustains us and indwells us and manifests the character of Christ, gives us uh, the first fruits of his future resurrection, which he will bring us into. Oh, the Spirit has contemplated us from the beginning of time to do this great work in us. And he is fulfilling it and will fulfill it. So that we hear in 1 Corinthians 15 a little bit about this future body. 
He says, what's sown, that is our present body, is perishable, but what's raised, the new body, is imperishable. Our old body was sown in dishonor, but it was raised in glory. It was sown in weakness, it's raised in power. And here's the clue of everything. It's sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. Now that doesn't mean it's non-physical. It means now the spirit will fully own us and govern us and fill us and manifest his glory in our new bodies as he never did before. And we conditioned by the spirit will have bodies that are imperishable, that are full of glory and full of power forever. So this age of the spirit that began with Christ's resurrection finally issues into the resurrection of all believers when we too receive new bodies like our Lord Jesus did. All of this is done by the Holy Spirit. The glorious Holy Spirit. And so in the Old Testament, there were, you might think of them as the scattered showers of the Holy Spirit in kind of a semi-arid condition of the Old Testament. And now in the New Testament, upon the cross of Jesus dying for our sins and the pouring out of the Spirit, fresh, glorious spring rains constantly refreshing the people of God as the Spirit is poured out upon us. And so... I hope that you will have a new uh, desire to pray and expectantly for for the Spirit's work in your life. And that as you struggle to obey God, you will constantly realize the flesh is good for nothing. But the Spirit, the Spirit constantly gives me life. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the great work that you have accomplished We thank you, Lord Jesus, that in dying for us and taking away our sin and being exalted to the right hand of the Father, you have poured out richly the Spirit into our lives. And now we are the temple of God. We have living water flowing from our innermost being. We are being conformed from glory to glory to the image of Christ. We have the first fruits of the Spirit. And in the final day, we will receive bodies that are imperishable, full of glory and power, because they will be bodies conditioned by the Holy Spirit, who will fully own us in that day and fully manifest His majesty within us and about us in the new heavens and the new earth. Thank you, O Lord, that we are part of this. Thank you that we have this dignity and this beauty and this strength that we are now the new people of God and dwell by the Holy Spirit. Lord, may we manifest it in the details of our lives, in the details of our struggle as husbands and wives and parents and brothers and sisters, as we manifest it in how we love our neighbors as we manifest it in how we take forth the gospel. Oh Lord, bless us that we will manifest that we indeed are the temple of God in whom the glory of God dwells. For your glory we pray, amen.